Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the mile. Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. And welcome to a special edition of the Two Salt Tooth Podcast. It's a special edition for no other reason than we had a couple great interviews that were lined up that could only be done today. Tosan Rickett, he's joining us from Serbia. He's joined a new club in Israel. He's going to talk about what the decision by making went into that, why he's decided to go to a country that's uh, in the news for the wrong reasons right now and sort of what his future in the game may hold. Uh, John Eden is a fan, uh, a fan from Ottawa. He has a podcast there, the, uh, the Fury Podcast. He was in... Uh, he was in uh, Brazil. Uh, yeah, we talked German. about that. Yeah, we uh, we talked about uh, a bit about his Brazil trip and the Fury home opener and how the stadium looked, how the pitch looked. His experience. We had a great conversation about that. And that was uh, Kevin did that while I was on the subway trying to get down to TFC v Spurs tonight, which I'm covering from a TFC Academy perspective. And speaking of that, we're going to do a little update on League One. Some unfortunate news there that I'm going to update you on about. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Senric. It's And welcome back to the Two Salt Foods Podcast. We're happy to have on the line Tosant Ricketts, who uh, joins us from uh, Serbia, where he's training with his new club. Uh, Tosant, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Just tell us a bit about how this happened. And, you know, you're in a, in a part of the world where there's a, it's in the news a lot lately, and it's kind of an area that a lot of people might be reluctant to go to. But just tell us how you ended up there. And, uh, you know, just tell us a story. Uh, well, you know, um, after uh, departing my last club, I had a, I had a decent season there, so I had a few options, which I was, uh, me and my agent were looking into, and, uh, the, this Israeli team, Hapoel Haifa, came into the picture kind of later, and, uh, it seemed like a good opportunity for me, so, uh, I put aside all the political problems and I took the opportunity, I guess. Just talk about that real quickly and then we'll focus on the football. Was there any reluctance at all from a family perspective, from a personal perspective, to, to go to that part of the world right now? Of course, I mean, it's the main concern is uh, my safety and uh, my well-being, and uh, that was the main concern of my family and my friends and stuff, but I had a couple, have a couple friends that live in Israel and uh, were able to give me um, information, inside information on how the lifestyle was and how their safety was affected by the current situation, and they uh, told me it was no problem, life goes on, and uh, they, they were pretty safe, so I just you know, took their advice and uh, went with it. To say, after your great season of seven goals this season, how would you say, uh, you said you have many options. Can you describe a couple of those options and uh, what was the deciding factor that made you choose that specific club in Haifa? Well, I mean, I, you know, I played in Turkey, so a lot of my options were based in Turkey. And I've been through a couple bad situations. I went through it with my last club of 
as well when uh, they couldn't, you know, maintain the payments on time. And having that happen to me two times in the recent years, I wanted a club that was financially stable enough to where I can depend on them to pay me on time. And this uh, this club, Hapoel uh, Haifa, is very known for its uh, discipline in uh, its financial side. So basically, I took this. I took this deal because I needed some more financial security in my career, mm-hmm. as well as a good opportunity to play in a decent league. They won the championship in 1998-1999 season. Do you see any possibilities of maybe this season with your help having another championship for the club? Oh, of course. I mean, uh, the team is much different than last year. We have eight new players and also a uh, uh, very known coach, a uh, legend in Israel, actually. And uh, he's coached you know, for many years, and he's very experienced. So I'm hoping he has the, you know, the experience to take us to the championship or at least a top position where we can can contend in a Europa League or a Champions League qualifying spot. You mentioned the financial difficulties that the clubs you were at faced and how that affected you as a player. Unfortunately, that's a story that's too well known to Canadian players, not just yourself. How much of a factor is that in, when you're searching for a club right now? And it's just an area I don't think that people realize. I mean, it's it's, it's a big factor these days. It's unfortunately it's the reality of the game, and uh, some of these countries, uh, the finance, they're just financially not secure. You know, they may promise you this, promise you that, but when it comes down to payment time, you don't know for there's no certainty that you're going to get paid on time. And, I mean, it's okay if it's happening for the first time, you know, maybe even the second time, but I I couldn't let it happen a third time. So I took the choice to come here just for mainly for that reason and secondly because it's a, it's a great team and a great opportunity. I'll, I'll bring but, it back to Canada a little bit. You scored the latest goal for Canada May 27, 2014, which for me is a big day. It was my birthday, so thank you for that gift, by the way. <laughs> but uh, what would you say... Where is Canada right now? Where do you see the program moving forward? And do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Of course. I mean, with uh, Benito Floro, he brings so much experience to the game. And uh, he, he shows a different side of the game where we really haven't we haven't really seen, hasn't really been, you know, uh, implemented into our tactics. He He's very experienced and he has many ideas that will, you know, push us forward for the future. And I, I, have, I have all my faith in him and a lot of other players as well. And I think he's uh, the one that can get it done and get us to that next level. Not to focus on the negatives of the past. We'd like to move on. It's a new cycle and all that. But was there anything that was learned that unfortunate day in Honduras? Of course. I mean, we we talk about it here and there. But uh, the main thing was was a lot of us was our first time ever experiencing an environment like that, you know. And going towards the future, that can't it can't be like that. We'd have to we have to play in those environments before the main the main stage the main game you know we have to get in those environments you know get get friendlies there and uh really expose our players to that type of environment and that type of you know soccer culture that that comes with playing in those countries so i mean i think uh i think we'll build our build up whereas the next cycle we'll focus on getting more games in those areas in central america uh, i think i'd be Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. There was a, there's a big rumor right now, and between the lines we read, there's a good possibility Canada will bid for the 2026 World Cup. Uh, can you say what that would mean to you? Maybe not playing, but being part of maybe just that experience of having the World Cup at home. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I remember back in the U20s, we had it, and it was, uh, 
it was it was massive. Everyone uh, bought into it, and everyone was excited for the U20s. And I think it'll it'll only be bigger if it was to, if we were to get that bid, and it would benefit Canada in many many ways, and it would uh, impact the future greatly. And I think that would be amazing if that was if that could happen. So, Sam, this being a podcast that primarily focuses on Major League Soccer, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you whether you considered uh, a move back to North America or whether that's something you might consider in the future. Of course I'd consider in the future. I mean, uh, the league is great. The league is growing every year. There's a lot of success. A lot of players doing well. A lot of players even moving from MLS to bigger clubs in Europe. So, I mean, it's it's, right, it's an option definitely for the future, but right now I'm currently uh, – you know, just exploring the European side of football. That's Tosan Ricketts. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Two Solid Dudes MLS podcast with Wayne Rollins and Kevin Larme on Canadian Soccer News. If you're going to reach to any Kevin, email podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Two Solitude Spot. Go like our page on Facebook. iTunes, rate and review. Now back to the show. And we're back. And thanks again to Tosent for uh, for joining us to take some time from Serbia. Exciting opportunity, a scary opportunity too. And he answered that well. And I have heard that before, that uh, Israel, outside of the areas that are in the news, are often quite safe, safer than you'd realize. But uh, still, you got to think that there is some trepidation amongst uh, his, his loved ones for him before he makes that move. Oh, for sure. But I'm glad to know that uh, Haifa is a little bit more quiet than uh, it's on Gaza. So I don't, anything, nothing politic, but it's a safer environment right now. And there's a lot of uh, well-known club in Haifa. The basketball club is a very popular club in that region. Basketball is coming too. So it's a safe region for the athletes. Many international athletes are actually living there and playing in that region. Absolutely. And uh, again, we thank him for his time there and we, we wish him well. Uh, interesting comments uh, in, in regards to uh, the A1 game, I thought. Uh, acknowledgement that there was maybe they weren't quite experienced enough. They weren't quite ready to go into that environment. I know people uh, accuse me sometimes of uh, belaboring that point, but I think it's important to all up to it and we'll, to learn from the game. And, and I'm glad to think to hear that they do talk about it sometimes. Oh, for sure. Otherwise, that would have happened for nothing. If we can get something out of that, like Brazil can probably will get something out of that 7-1. If we get, get something out of that 8-1, it would have served its purpose at least. Absolutely. Um, on that note, before we talk to John, uh, before Kevin talks to John, the interview is already pre-recorded. But uh, before we wrap this up, I wanted to update people on an event that's happening in League One. Um, unfortunately, there was a team, International to Toronto. Uh, that's the team that had Solando on it. Uh, uh, Dobby Slando, uh, who, uh, they, they had the license pulled. And, uh, that's caused a lot of consternation amongst people in the, in the community. But, uh, I did some digging yesterday to find out exactly what was going on there. And, uh, you know, the old adage, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar applies here. Uh, the an announcement was very simple. It said that the team was not meeting the licensing standards that they agreed to. That's simply all that it was. Uh, they just decided and they've given them ample opportunity to fix some things. And when that didn't happen, they decided to act decisively and quickly to make sure that uh, the situation that could have got worse was dealt with and dealt with uh, professionally. They have professional standards in that league, and they, they held them up, and that's all you can really ask in this situation. And the way they handled it so strongly gives a precedent to other teams that would like to go on the bad path that Toronto did and probably will give more respect to the league, in my opinion, that it states its ground, and even though it gets players less playing time for that team, well... We had rules, we were not respected, 
and the hammer went down. So at least, you know, they have a strong backbone in the league. They believe in the product. They believe in the reason that the product exists, and they're acting accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is, that's the lesson here. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a minor setback right now. There is no doubt about that. But at least they didn't let it fester because if it let it fester, that can have, cause a leak to, to get rotten. And that's no good to anyone. It's no good to the teams that are operating under the correct licensing procedures right now. So, um, unfortunate situation, but a situation that was dealt with quickly and there's not really much more to say. We'll continue to support League One because we want to see it successful. Um, on that note, Kevin, I think we'll throw and we'll, we'll talk to, we'll go to your conversation with John and then, uh, we'll come back and wrap it up real quick. Welcome back to the Two Solitudes Podcast. I'm Kevin Lagame right here. I am joined with John Eden uh, from Howard's is the Fury Podcast and CanucksAbroad.ca. How you doing, John? Pretty good. How are you? I am great, John. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, we'll start by talking about the Fury and we'll finish by talking about one of your recent trips abroad. But to start with, how was the Fury home opener in the new stadium? Well, it was great. I mean, we have finally have a new home, beautiful stadium. Lansdowne Park or TD Place, it, you know, it, overall it was great. The result, not so much. <laughs> the game itself, not so much. You know, some of the, uh, fans, the way that they reacted to supporter culture, not so much. But overall, I'm still pretty positive and happy about it. First question that comes to mind, we know it's a shared stadium with the Canadian Football League team. How was the pitch? Could you see the lines or was it decent to watch? No, I'm very happy to report that it was very good to watch. Like, I didn't see the line at all, actually. Like, I don't know what it was like on the uh, NASL live stream, but in, in real life, in the stadium, it looked wasn't worried about it at all. And uh, how was the players playing on it? Did you see any, because uh, we, we, the bad pitch, like a big O in Montreal, you see the players play in a different way. How was the actual play? Not the game, we know they lost one nothing to the Cosmos, but... Uh, were there, uh, was it a decent type of play on that surface as well? I think it's definitely an improvement from the old turf, but uh, it is a soft turf still. So, like, Drew Becky got injured almost right away, so that wasn't great to see. But overall, um, I think that the pitch will be conducive to better play. Like, I mean, they they had, like, a water zamboni, which I'd never <laughs> seen before in my life. So that was kind of cool. So they made the pitch a little bit faster. Um and, you know, we showed, we showed some great passing and, you know, I think in the future we'll, uh, we'll see some good matches there for sure. What would you say is the, the biggest, uh, plus of having the TD play, the new stadium? Uh, as a fan, you were in the supporters section. How was the experience, uh, relating to the stadium of that game? Okay, I'll, I'll separate that question. So the biggest plus for me is, we have a very nice stadium, so people will go out to the game just because they want to see what TD Place is like. And also in the past, it has been very hard to motivate people to come out to Carlton because people were like, this is a really crappy ground. I don't want to go there. So that's the biggest plus. Uh, in terms of uh, the supporter section, like we still have to work out on some solutions on, on how we can accommodate a hardcore supporters group and a uh, hardcore fan crowd with with the more casual fan who may not be as familiar to the game. So hopefully that gets sorted within the next week or so. Yeah, because uh, 
and right now it's the fall season of DNSL, you could say that is starting. And the the Fury have not having the best start. What would you say is the key going forward for the Mark Santos Mark Dos Santos boys? Um, they need to score. They haven't scored in uh, about four matches, so I think we're doing everything right in terms of creating chances, but there's no one really there banging in goals week after week. So um, they definitely need to work on their finishing. Tom Heineman is a great player, but he's often out there all by himself, so he needs more support, um, hopefully from the wingers, from someone like Carl Hayworth or Dantes if he comes on or or uh, even Minatel. Um, other than that, uh, I think their defense is actually pretty good. And we, I really like our keeper, Gorick, um, who's currently our number one. So as long as we, you know, score more from those chances that we do generate, we'll be fine. Do you see the Cosmos having a, no, the Cosmos, sorry, uh, the Fury, having a shot of maybe beating the Cosmos eventually and going into the playoffs this season? Well, I'm not sure if we're going to beat the Cosmos in New York. That's always going to be a tough ask. Um, you know, my expectations are not as big as those of other fans. Like, I don't have to make the playoffs this year. If we uh, finish ahead of FC Edmonton and ahead of the other expansion team, which is uh, Indy 11, I'm pretty happy. And But it would be fun if we were at least in contention for those playoff spots coming forward. So hopefully that... Uh, Mid-season, frame, uh, mid-season friendly today against the Glasgow Rangers. It's not going to hurt us too much before our away game next week, uh, next uh, weekend against the, uh, uh, who are we playing? Carolina. Okay, the Red Hawks. Yeah. You just came back from a life-changing event. Uh, I have to, just for our listeners, we'll take a little break on talking MLS World and uh, North American Soccer. You went to the World Cup semifinals and final to see your team. First of all, yeah, how it was, was uh, pretty. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. No, okay. how was how was the game? How was the semifinal? How was the experience? Did you have fun? How oh, it was absolutely amazing, as you can imagine. Um, I mean, the the game in Belo Horizonte, just the atmosphere in the stadium, ninety five percent Brazilians in the stadium singing the national anthem. Uh, I've never felt so much goosebumps in my life. Like I was literally moved to tears because it was just. So phenomenal. Yeah, and I was you probably just took a look at the scoreboard and were moved to tears. <laughs> <laughs> Later in the game, yes. <laughs> but at the beginning, everything was going well for Brazil. I mean, they have more of the possession. They have the first corner. And like I was getting nervous. And uh, for those of uh, you that, that don't know, I, I, I went with my dad. So I, I told my dad, you know, I'm, I'm really nervous about this. I think the team's really affected by this. I don't think this is going to go well. And then you know what happened. <laughs> they scored a goal and then... After that, it was easy. So after about the 4 or 5-0, we, we switched sections. We moved from the uh, Brazilian sections where we were the only Germans into the German block. I think that was a good idea. The whole game long, you know, Rio de Janeiro. Oh, oh. And uh, <laughs> how was the Brazil fans' reaction? Did you ever get uh, bad reactions or maybe bad intentions from them towards you? Uh, within the stadium at first, there were some bad reactions. I mean, you guys saw on TV all the crying and stuff. Part of that is true, but uh, like the drunk, more intoxicated people, they were a little aggressive. But overall, the, the the mentality of the Brazilians has been fantastic. Like they just were pretty much realizing that Brazil did not have a very good team, 
they were probably never going to win the World Cup. Germany was the better team on that day. And they were just fair losers. And actually, at the final, the Brazilians were all cheering for Alemania and wearing Germany shirts. And I'm aware this has mostly to do with the fact that they just really didn't want Argentina to win in their own country. <laughs> But still, I don't think that an Argentina fan in the same situation would have been wearing a Germany jersey to support Germany uh, against Brazil if they were to host it in their own country. So overall, I was very pleased with the way uh, Brazilians reacted to that loss and, you know, going out of the tournament. And now, like you mentioned the final, how was the difference between the semifinal and the final? In my opinion, it must have seemed like the semifinal was the most emotional game because it was 7-1. How was the final? Well, the final was great as well. And I also went to the uh, third place match in Brazilia, so I'm, I'm sure you don't want to hear about that one. Yeah, two nothing kind of for game. Yeah, but, no, um, was like, wow. Yeah, I must have been uh, but I w Brazilian <laughs> disappointed again. <laughs> yeah, and I was just stressed. Like, I wanted to skip the third place match just because of logistics, because we had to fly into Rio the day off, pick up our tickets, go to the stadium, and I just want to make sure that we don't miss the final, right? Yeah, true. So, but from, yeah, from an emotional and a point of view, like, the semifinal was always hard to be topped. Like, I, winning the World Cup with your dad live in, in the Maracanã, It was pretty freaking amazing, and I don't yeah. think it, it, it can be topped uh, either. But that 7-1 game, that's the real historical uh, occasion, I think. Like They'll that, be talking about, talk yeah. about for 50, 60 years to come. Exactly. I was going to say the exact same thing, John, and you can say you were there. John Eden, thanks a lot for taking the time to talking to us on uh, on uh, Two Solitudes, and you can listen to John on Ours is the Free Podcast on RedNationOnline.ca. So thank you so much for having me, and please keep informing us about uh, the World Cup bid 2026 and also the proposed Canadian League. Very excited to hear more about that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll do that on Two Solitudes and on Five Rings. John, have a great day. You too. Hi, this is Dwayne Rollins of the Two Solitudes podcast. Uh, doing this podcast, it's a labor of love for Kevin and I, but it's not a free labor of love. There are costs associated with doing it, costs with our time, with hosting, with so on and so forth. As such, for this month only, we're doing a fundraiser to try and raise a little bit of money to keep this podcast going and, and improve it to maybe two times a week permanently. If you'd like to help us with that, You can do so the following ways. You can send an EMT transfer to csndonation at gmail.com. You can support us through PayPal at dgrollins at gmail.com. That's, that's D-G-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Thank you, and we really appreciate it. And welcome back, and thanks to John for joining Kevin there. Unfortunately, I couldn't take the call. I'm on my way to cover the Spurs uh, TFC game, as I said. Uh, watch my Twitter uh, tonight if you get this podcast before that. I'll be doing some updates for any Academy players that play, the League One players that play for TFC Academy. Hopefully they get some minutes. Uh, Kevin, uh, you know, what did you take away from the John interview? I can't wait to hear it myself. I haven't yet, but uh, what did you take away from it? Uh, first of all, what took away, we both had fears about the pitch, and John, actually I'll tell because you didn't have a chance to listen to it yet, well, he talked about the pitch from his point of view, the experience was, it looked great, he could not see any demarcation of any white lines from the gridiron, it was great to see. The well, action. that's good. Yeah, that's great, and the players played great on that pitch, uh, the pitch were watered down, it was a water Zamboni, so it's good for the future of maybe what turf can do, it's still not grass, but it's a step forward, so that was great. Uh, the only thing downside, downside he was talking about is the atmosphere. 
And it's normal. It was the first real game, a new stadium with a different supporters group. They're going to get together. They're going to get a situation to fix it up. Give it a couple of weeks and they'll be better. But uh, other than that, it was a, it's great to see the Fury uh, having their own place now. And he had a blast in Brazil. And that was just, must have been a life-changing experience. Uh, well, yeah, you would say, okay, you know, when you're the nation, John, John's German, uh, he was born German, so he lives in Canada now, but, uh, of course he's going to have a good time when, when they win. So there you go. Um, yeah, in terms of the Ottawa situation, uh, being the atmosphere, there's, there's some funny little Twitter accounts out there that are sort of satirizing that. But, the silence guy, the guy sleeping, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's like the new, the new supporters group, the silent majority or something. Anyway, um, uh, it's gonna be a challenge. It's a big stadium and that was always gonna be the, the issue there, but all they can do is be themselves and to keep doing what they do. Uh, put TIFOs up, have fun in that section, have fun within whatever parameters that the Fury and the supporters groups negotiate are appropriate, and it'll grow. It'll grow organically because there are going to be people that are going to look at it and go, I want to be part of that, and that's really the only only thing they can do there. Um, on that note, Kevin, i got to go down and watch Spurs versus Toronto. Uh, you've got to you put this podcast up for me. Ha, huh, thanks. And uh, all these sort of good things. All right, guys. So uh, until next time, have a great soccer. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We got to go for all we know. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us.